Jesus was a storyteller. He used parables or short narratives like the one that Anthony just read to tell us something about God's presence in the world. Parables engage our imagination and challenge conventional thinking. In the case of the sower, Jesus draws from everyday peasant life to reveal something unexpected about the surprising, gracious, demanding, and countercultural nature of God's reign. That was important for the original disciples to see and understand, and it's important for us as well. This parable was told to a large, diverse crowd gathered by the sea. But Jesus then turns his attention to the disciples, offering them additional information. He wants to make sure they get it and don't miss the point of the story. There's an important middle section that's been left out of our reading for today. Between the story and Jesus' interpretation of it, Jesus speaks to the disciples about the importance of parables for revealing the secrets of the kingdom of God. And though he seems to indicate that the disciples perceive and understand all of this, he then goes on to explain things in a way that indicates that even they were at risk of receiving the word of God and it not taking root in their hearts. Jesus quotes Isaiah to make his point. You will indeed listen, but not understand, and you will indeed look, but not perceive. Matthew's gospel was written for a group of early Jewish followers of Jesus. They professed that Jesus was God's agent who provided forgiveness, who manifested God's presence, and reliably instructed them about God's will. But they were largely on the fringes of a diverse first-century Judaism. In addition, that community was struggling to find its way in a society dominated by Roman imperial power. The introduction to Matthew's Gospel in the New Interpreter's Bible states that while this community followed Jesus, whom Rome crucified, the Romans controlled political, economic, and military structures, benefiting themselves at the expense of others. Imperial theology also contributed to the domination system of that day. It claimed that Rome and the emperor ruled all the will of the gods, and that the emperor himself manifested their presence, their will, and the benefits on earth. The gospel, the good news that Jesus came to proclaim, was and is a counter-narrative to this, and it invites those with ears to hear and eyes to see to live a countercultural alternative existence in the midst of such claims and commitments. It asserts that it is God's world, not Rome's, that it's God's reign and presence and presence that are manifest in Jesus and not in the emperor, that God's blessings extend to all peoples, not just the elite, and that Jesus, not Rome, reveals God's will. Followers of Jesus, on the other hand, must not render to Caesar the things that are God's, nor are they to imitate the domineering practices of the Gentile rulers. Instead, Christians are to be an active and faithful alternative community of loving, merciful, inclusive, praying, missional servants anticipating the completion of God's purposes. In that context, it's no wonder the seed of God's word was unable to take root widely. There were significant competing interests at hand. Still, the sower scattered seed, scattered seed everywhere, knowing that only some would take root, 
only some seed would mature, and only some would bear fruit. The same things threaten the Word of God today. We must contend with our own version of empire and the sway it has on our lives. We too are at risk of falling victim to imperial theology that falsely lays claim to God and God's will. We too know how to hide in fear when trouble and persecution come our way. We too can be paralyzed by anxiety or bound by our attachment to money and things. As a result, our hearts are hardened and unable to receive the good news of God's love. Benedictine sister Dawn Mills offers a description of how the gospel affects our lives in keeping with this parable. She says it comes as a seed into our ears and it falls upon our hearts. But that seed cannot take root in our hearts unless it is watered by tears of compassion. Our tears soften and make receptive the soil of our hearts in order that the faithfulness and the fruitfulness of God's love can grow from there. But we have to be willing to suffer with the world, to become suffering servants ourselves after Christ's example. As the Apostle Paul said, we must learn to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. It means letting go of selfish ambition and aligning ourselves with God's mercy and justice for the poor and the oppressed. Last week, the Confederate soldiers and sailors statue here in our neighborhood was taken down. It was one of several large monuments to the Confederate South in Richmond, recently dismantled. This one stood high on Libby Hill, less than half a mile away. It came down as a result of the recent movement for racial justice following the death of George Floyd. The outrage that has gripped our nation and even world over the abuse and mistreatment of black and brown people has garnered remarkable momentum during the pandemic. Systemic racism is being confronted as never before and symbols of hate and oppression are coming down at an unprecedented rate. Underneath the anger fueling the change, there is tremendous sadness, grief over the racial disparities and anti-black violence that have plagued this nation since its beginning. I have a white friend my age who called me several weeks ago from Texas. He had just watched online the recording of the brutal and senseless killing of Ahmaud Arbery, and he was appalled. He was furious at what he had seen. As he spoke, his anger gave way to deep sadness, and he expressed his motivation to do something about the racism that he'd seen in that video. Though I know him to be a compassionate human being already, I could sense his heart being further softened by the love of Christ. He'd seen enough and was determined to become part of the solution to the injustice. Young activists and civil rights protesters are now calling us, people of good faith, to account. They want to know if the Word of God has taken root in our hearts or not, and if it will bear fruit or not. There has been plenty of evidence for centuries to the contrary. It reminds me of words from Frederick Douglass, words he wrote in the 19th century saying, I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. 
I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, he went on to write, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. Today's activists likely have something similar in mind when they reference the words of Micah, Jeremiah, and Matthew, as they did in their painting of the base of the monument on Libby Hill, citing Micah 5.14, Jeremiah 6.14, and Matthew 23.27. From Jeremiah, we hear these words, I will cut off your images and your pillars from among you, and you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. From Jeremiah, they have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. One of the popular chants of the activists begins, no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace. And from Matthew 23, 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you are like whitewashed tombs which on the outside look beautiful, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and all kinds of filth. The monument on Libby Hill overlooks the James River at precisely the point where large boats once unloaded human cargo, shackled and marched to slave auction sites upriver. The time for justice is overdue, as is the time for peace. It's time that we, those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, look again at and listen carefully to God's word, letting it take root anew in our hearts. The empire still vies for our attention, but it is God's empire and God's will that must receive our ultimate loyalty. We're told that those with eyes to see and ears to hear will bear fruit 30, 60, and even a hundredfold. May we be in that number among those willing to see and hear God's word and have it take root in our hearts for the justice of all. Amen.